Oh, man, it's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for being willing to come on a Wednesday night in the middle of Christmas. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, thank you. Um, okay, now I'm on a schedule, and I see it's 8.15, and I know the thing I do most is tech, talk too long. So here we go. Ready? Hold on to your hats. <laughs> Yesterday, I had this same feeling that I have when I am headed to get on an airplane, the deadline that says you have to get to the airport at, I'm time challenged, ladies. And, and so I had that feeling, I get this angst inside, and I look like this. <laughs> and that's what I felt yesterday. But today, I feel like in the boarding area. And once I've gotten through security and I can sit down, I'm just good. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, I have some thank yous first. Um, one is the BART. He's been waving goodnight to me as he left me entrenched in the living room with a computer and this talk for weeks, literally. Thank you, Larissa. You don't know it, but you have been like a crossing guard holding the grandkids at bay. <laughs> Say, I know, every time they want to come over, I go, oh, I can't do what I'm doing this talk. Uh, Raylan, wherever you went. Well, wherever you are, Raylan, there you are. Thank you, Raylan. You have created the graphics. And... Um, Yesterday, you edited my wordiness with a two-edged sword. <laughs> you get to go home tonight because of that. And Ashley, if you ever hear this, um, you're, you and your family flew to another country in order to give me quiet space. <sighs> I'm just telling you, ordinary starts tomorrow again. Okay, let's see. My first slide is be real. Um, that's one of the things I've always said about life. I just want to be real. And so tonight what I want to share with you is that I have the privilege of sharing part of my heart with you tonight. But what was really cool was that in this process, they gave me a piece of paper, two pieces of paper, single-spaced, and where they showed every woman and her subject and what she talked about for the last 25 years. And here's what I came away understanding, was that I don't remember the specifics, but what I can tell you is I still see those women, and they are as faithful today as they were the day they spoke to you. And I pray for that. Like she said, when they asked me to speak, I said, well, I'm just ordinary. Um, and they responded that we could all relate to that. So would you join me in the ordinary part of life tonight? You're going to see some snippets of life, not a whole lot. My desire is to be open and real with you and to share some of the things that God has taught me through being ordinary, some ordinary things in life and some not-so-ordinary experiences. You all have at your table, and you can see it right here, this quote board. It's a collage of ideas that I love. As I've gone through this and I've, I've talked um, through these things, I just see that these things apply a lot in my life. I'm not supposed to talk for three hours, so I'll just cover the parts I can. And all the rest is left on my computer for my grandkids when they're curious about what grandma was. For me, life is a journey. And I'm now at the age, and my hair is the color, that I used to refer to the ladies who were very nice, older ladies in our church. <clears throat> when I recently have a four-year-old grandson and I was talking to him and you know how grandmas do and they, or maybe you do, but uh, this grandma goes, I don't know how you got to be so 
big, Andrew. And he said, I have no idea. And I feel that way about getting old. I really, I just, um, I forget more than I used to. And, and, I, and I get tireder faster than I used to. But here I am. Um, so let's just take a sliding through. And we're going to do a bird's eye view of what life has looked like for me. So I was a firstborn, like they said. I was firstborn in a family that loved Jesus. And that is a huge blessing. I had an early privileged learning that just because we celebrate a birthday today with Jesus, that wasn't his, his purpose was to come, but it was to die on the cross. And that was for the punishment I deserved. I have an early memory of my mom reading from an old ideals magazine. I don't know if you remember those or not, but it had pictures in it. And there was Christ dying on the cross. And when that happened, I suddenly realized that Jesus was dying for me. I asked him for his forgiveness. I trust him with my life. I did then, I do now. And I know that I am a failure when it comes to living without doing anything wrong. His death for my wrongdoing, and it's the proof of my being forgiven, was what he did on the cross. So, beyond that, I lived a pretty ordinary 1950s life. So, that tells you I'm born in the 50s. I was, I was early 50s. I turned 67 last month. Creative, creative and imaginative play was something that we did a lot. I had some friends. We played with cardboard boxes and sand and piles of leaves. And it was long before there was a TV or there was a computer or there was a smartphone. And we had a lot of fun. When I was in first grade, I got a present that I didn't really fully appreciate. <laughs> She's laughing. I had a new baby sister. <laughs> and, and that's just, but they were just too little to play with. So I took on a mothering role. And because of we were different at ages, we never in school together. And we had two different temperaments. We'll talk about that later. And since we were so different, we really struggled to find common ground. I'm just telling you. So I was a rather compliant kid when I grew up in my home. And there was a home with plenty of rules. So I would follow the rules because you don't get in trouble that way. If you know me now, you might find it hard to envision me as a disciplined child. <laughs> it was probably to my benefit because while I was being disciplined at home, what I didn't know at the time was as an adult, I was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That's why they say I'm a tigger. <laughs> so I was married Bart at 28. It was a little later. And with marriage adjustment came, then there was children. And um, then there's trials that come in marriage. I mean, if you have a marriage that there's no trials, talk to me later because I want to hear what that's all about, not me. <laughs> Um, seven years into our marriage, we decided to try what we called a social experiment. <sighs> it was going to be for a trial period of six months to see how that worked. Bart's dad had been already been in a nursing home for two years. And the family home was just more than Grandma Chafee could handle. So we moved in with the original Grandma Chafee. If you know that I've got a lot of kids that call me Grandma Chafee, but we moved in with the original. And she moved into a basement apartment type thing, and we had rules. Uh, house needs rules. First, 
kids, do you understand? This is grandma's. This is ours. There is a door. You knock before you go to Grandma Chafee's. Uh, that rule was broken in the first two hours. <laughs> and Grandma quickly adapted to the fact that she was, it was one family, two floors, one scenario as home. We were one family of five plus a grandma. And we were there for the next 17 years. And so I have to tell you, she made it pretty easy. After 30 years of marriage, Bart and I had a chance to look back. And we looked back at our lives. And because somebody had talked to us about caregiving, and you know, you just didn't think about it. It was just normal. But we found out that was out of the 30 years, that, those 30 years, 25 of those years had been hands-on caregiving in some way. Bart's mom had spent most of seven years at the bedside of Bart's dad in a nursing home. And so um, I was grateful for her to set that example of what it was to be boots on the ground when it came to caring for other people. Well, we've been married 39 years now. And this is our group. This is our group. We have raised three kids. There's Larissa in the center, Ray Lynn over here on the, in the dots, and that's Phil and Ashley. And um, those three, those three, married three, and now they've given us six grands. And oh my goodness, do we love being grandparents. So um, one of the things I've learned is that we, sometimes we have to put love first in what we do, and that's not always easy to do. In my teens, dates were rare. I'm going to tell you the good stuff now. In my teens, dates were rare. They were like few and far between, and I mean it. But during the first five years of my 20s, I had a couple of really serious dating relationships. And those times, as good as it sounds to have a dating relationship, they were tough. Okay, I admit, I watch sometimes The Bachelor on TV, and, um, and I talk back. <laughs> The bachelor last spring, he broke an engagement, and everybody went, ah! And I was on the bachelor's side. I'd been there and done that twice. That was before I met Bart. <clears throat> Although both men were good guys, there was something in each one of those circumstances where we just didn't fit. And um, it wasn't quite right. And the more I tried to force those two pieces together, the less it worked. At one point, my mom sat me down, and my mom and dad, it was both of them, my mom and dad sat me down, and they said, well, you know, we think that you are in love with the idea, the ideal of what marriage is to be. That desire to be married may be blinding you uh, from the reality of what a particular relationship looks like. And I love that diamond, I have to tell you. <laughs> so... Here's my advice. If you love the ring so much, this is my mother told me, I'm telling you. If, my, if you love the ring so much, go buy yourself one. <laughs> I did, I loved it, and I still love wearing it. <laughs> I didn't get married until I was 28. It's not easy being single and watching all of your friends and your sister. Oh, my sister didn't get married yet either, because she's so young. Um, I, watching all your friends get married. It's hard. I know it's not easy. And so if you're there, I get it. <clears throat> Eventually, I did go to a single, I was in a singles Bible study and met this guy. 
who told me I was friendly. <laughs> I don't exactly know what Bart meant by that. After we started dating, um, we gave each other the freedom to ask any question, and I mean any question, ladies, with no strings attached. And, and I grilled him. I grilled that man. We worked through some tough stuff, and after 10 weeks of dating, we were engaged. Was it smooth? <laughs> no. Will it ever be all smooth? No. But I think we get caught up in that, you know, that feeling of being, I'm so totally in love. <laughs> and we get disappointed when real life hits. It's not like that. Marriage is a lot of work. And there's no way around it, but the hard work is worth it. But it's work. Okay, I want to show you. This is Bart and I. So, you see. <laughs> so, um, I'm, a, I'm that shotgun that's just a choo. Bart's that pistol. And where he's, by the time I'm hit, thinking about where the target might be, he's already shot, fired, he's done, and he's on his way home. And the other one is... I like to think outside the box. I'm creative. I like to think outside the box. And do you know that Bart is that box? <laughs> he knows I said that about him. So I want to share with you what a typical example happens in our marriage. We bought a tent trailer, and this was Bart's ideal of what a tent trailer should look like. That's a pretty nice one, isn't it? Yeah. Well, with some creative thinking, this is what I turned it into. So I bought some supplies to make mosquito netting around that whole area and common area, and it only took eight hours to assemble that. <laughs> I had the ability to make any simple task complex, and tonight's talk is no exception. <laughs> so it's taken a, a lot of life to do. You know, it just takes a process to do these lifelong process. Marriage is just continuing to teach me. I have to just... Put some things first, and sometimes it's love. That one's gone, by the way. Don't give up. This is uh, probably a, a little more serious part. So there are times when we need more help than we can get. Wait a minute. I'll just make sure I didn't turn a page too soon. No, I didn't. Okay, here we go. There's these kind, there are times there's challenges in life that um, where we need some outside help, or sometimes for us, was mediation. Uh, years ago, I came to a point where I knew that even the good counsel of really good friends just wasn't enough. I needed a different level of help. And choosing to go to a professional that first time was hard. I was overwhelmed. I was frustrated, angry. I was feeling like I was not enough, and I was getting pretty good at avoiding the deep issues. Today, I don't even remember what that tipping point was where I did check into a counselor the first time. First time I went to a psychiatrist, and I tell you that meeting was bad. Oh, I said poorly in this talk. The first and only session with him went poorly, that's what I said. Here's what I learned. Not everyone is a good fit for you. I learned I couldn't be afraid to unchoose a counselor if it's not the right one. I did find counselors who helped me to understand how to better handle what I was facing, uh, they helped me to understand what part of the problem was my part of the problem and what part of the problem was somebody else's part of the problem. And they helped me to get through those difficult times. I do take meds to help with depression and OCD and anxiety. As the seasons of my life have changed, 
I've gone back with my doctors and talked through what amounts of medication I was taking, and we've adjusted those things. But my depression did not start with me. This is the part of the story that actually started generations ago. I've always been troubled by that Old Testament references where it talks about the sins of the parents are visited on the next generation or generations. I didn't think that was fair. What I understand now is this. The sins or troubles of the past generations do affect future generations. But the truth is that these chains can be broken through Jesus Christ. I knew my maternal grandfather struggled with people relationships. I know he struggled with severe bouts of depression, and those were complicated by life circumstances. He was a young man when the 1929 depression hit. He was a young man still when the 30s, the early 30s, there was a dust bowl in Kansas, and he lived in Kansas. Um, his life was hard. But you know what? His temperament was harder. He did all he could to control his world. Depression, fear, and anxiety run hand in hand. I'm not sure. I mean, I am sure that he lived in fear. There's no question. Depression and anxiety can come from our circumstances like grandpa's, but it also has a biological element. It runs in our family and I struggle with him too. Grandpa, although well-meaning, I think he was, was mighty hard on my mom. He held a dogmatic view of what you did to be baptized. Well, when my mother married my dad, who was a wonderful Quaker believer who believed in a spiritual baptism, but not with water, Grandpa literally disowned my mom for a good six years. And although years later the relationship got better, the damage that was done to my mom never fully healed. My granddad's emotional dysfunction left deep emotional scars and fears on my mom. Mom's coping mechanism for the fears showed up in what we now call obsessive compulsive disorder. Out of fear, she tried so hard to control her world. And you know what? My dad my sis and I were all part of that world to control. So uh, here I am, three or four generations later, and I also struggle with some depression, anxiety, and a desire to control my world. Some days are harder than others. Counseling has helped, but I know that my fears affect those closest to me. Wounds pop up when I least expect them, and they raise their ugly heads. Do I have my fear conquered? No. Am I defensive? Yes. Um, do I have anger conquered? No. Do I struggle with not being enough? Absolutely. But I am trusting Jesus to help break those chains uh, of the learned portions of the issues that we face. Life doesn't come without hurts. Wise counsel is obviously given in the Bible. It also comes from family members, from friends, or a mentor, or a preacher, or a professional. But the big idea is, if you need counseling, please get it. Get it more than once if you need it. Get it as a couple if you need it. I did, and it was worth it. Well, how about a little bit of lighter space? <laughs> Let's talk about extending grace. 
Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Because i got to read this part. I'm an inner perfectionist and an outer failure <laughs> which is a dilemma. I don't know if I was born a perfectionist or whether I am just passionately pursuing the perfecting of being a perfectionist. <laughs> then add to that quality my inner procrastinator. So the result standing for you is, ready? I am a perturbed, procrastinating perfectionist who is puzzled over her personality problems that leave her pessimistic about the probability of proper problem solving in the middle of this perplexing pickle of a predicament. <laughs> Somehow things are just never perfect enough for me. It's one thing to be perfect, perfectionistic in what you do. It's another thing to attempt to be perfect in God's eyes. When I'm working to be perfect in God's eyes, it means I'm failing. It doesn't work. Only God is perfect. I found that my attempts to follow God's perfect will was really an effort to prove my worth to God. If I had, but I had it all backwards. God didn't want my perfection. He wanted my dependence. My desire for being perfect, perfection, smacks with pride because I'm doing it right. Proverbs 16, 18 says, and pride comes before a fall. So let's take a look at this. For a long time, my understanding of God led me to think that I needed to hit that bullseye, bullseye, to be in the perfect will of God. I greatly admire men and women who every day stop and pray and read and concentrate on God and their relationship. And I envision them sitting there with a cup of tea and reading their Bibles and their walk and discipline is just so disciplined. <laughs> I'm not them. My reality is I can't wake up. If I sit down, I fall asleep. If I look at the clock, the TV, my computer, hear a question from my husband or anybody else, or and a request, and my mind just goes 10 different directions all at once, and I'm glancing at the clock, and I'm suddenly late again. I struggle to be disciplined in so many things, at least the least of distractions, and I am literally gone. I move. I have to come to a point in my life where I had to choose to be okay with that. I didn't want to ignore my relationship with God, so I chose to get involved in a small group women's Bible study that would help me grow. Now, I've been in studies where it's highly encouraged that you do a portion every day and you read, and you can guess I was failing. Eventually, I came to an agreement with Jesus. I just tried to do my best every week, and how I studied looked different. I asked Jesus if he'd just wake me up the morning of the study in time to get whatever amount done that I didn't get done before so I could go to study. And you know what? He did. Week after week after week. It was not natural. It was supernatural. I'm in a small group here at Cole that I do a Bible study with. And, you know, I am a master procrastinator. I wasn't teasing about that. I am. But knowing that I'm headed for a group of my friends who've taken the time to study <clears throat> the Bible passage that we're supposed to look at is, is just like a social motivation to get my 
rearing deer. Um, that's not in the book notes. So I just, I just don't want to be left out. And um, I know that I experience love and acceptance there and encouragement and care. And we trust each other. And they tell me when I'm not on the right track. And we, so we speak truth. And their lives inspire me to keep loving Jesus. So when it's all been said and done, I want to finish strong with Jesus. Um, so I'm saying to you, do what you know you need to do in order to stay close to God. I'd recommend not trying it alone. Alone is really hard, and it doesn't work. As a perfectionist, oh, that was supposed to be breath there. Breath. As a perfectionist, you can imagine that hitting a bullseye in a sea of decisions was enough to drive me crazy. I just couldn't figure out how to make a perfect decision. Finally, I came to realize that God wasn't expecting perfection from me. He wasn't expecting that kind of sweat equity from me. He'd laid out a basic style of living, and he's just wanting, he'll work out the details. So I, I want to share this with you because it has helped me so much. This slide is information I got to read years ago, and it just changed my life. If God says no, don't do it. There's things he says no about. If God says do it, do it. If God doesn't say, well, use your head. Be reasonable. Ask God for wisdom. God extends, extends more grace to us than we ever extend to ourselves. Well, I think we have, <gasps> we have time. Okay, now listen to this. Here comes, the, here comes your assignment because now you're tired of listening to me. I've done 20 minutes. Ready? And this little bell, it tells you that on the table is this stuff. And you just turn around to the people on the table, and this is a five minutes, not a potty break. It's just five minutes. And so all we get to do is turn around, take a look at that, say, I like this piece of advice, and I would use it for who? Live, I'd like to love well, and I'll use it. I'd like to love my kids weller. weller. Okay, turn around. You've got a few minutes, five minutes, and I will give you the... the the bell. <laughs> Ladies, I lied. We had three minutes. Here we go. That's what I, I, that's an old school marm thing. I think I got it from an aunt and uncle, but I love it. Bart never did appreciate it as a dinner bell, I'll just tell you that. Okay, we're going to go on because I'm looking at the clock and I'm really promised and I stay on target and that's really hard for me. Okay, let's go to that next slide. Smile often. I love to laugh. I love to smile. Even though I struggle with things when they don't happen exactly like I want them to, I'm learning the importance of living life with a smile. You know, I can make a funny story out of any horrible story if you just give me a few years to think about it. <laughs> I've, I've always feared failure, and I still do. And so in my school, I majored in business education, and I thought I would love teaching, and I loved it until my students hated me. <laughs> Had to. Two out of a hundred, and I still hated me, and it still bothered me. So to me, that was failure. 
and I was devastated, and I went back to an office setting. I didn't need that. So a few years into marriage, um, Bart's job came to the end, an end, and we needed a little extra money, as anybody would at that point. And he suggested maybe I try substitute teaching. So I did. Overall, I think I got paid for what I was hired. I, I did what I was hired to do. But there were a few memorable moments. Imagine the day that the kids put a snowball on a thermostat in February. Now, I don't know anything about thermostats. I know more now, but I didn't. And I thought it was some kind of a chemical release. And I was eight months pregnant. And I wasn't going to touch that thing for anything. And you know it did get really hot in that room. <laughs> One day, I lost a first grader at recess. <laughs> she was found hiding in the bathroom. More details are available if you ask me. But I didn't get asked to go back. <laughs> I didn't really want to go. I didn't really want to go. And then there was that junior high band day when I should have known I was in trouble because the kids, as they came in, I heard them going, oh, we've got a substitute. <laughs> Let me tell you, that, those bands, they all switched instruments on me. It didn't take long for me to figure that one out. Um, sometimes we're just not in the right place with the right people at the right time to do the best job we can do. Um, now I'm going to talk about doing a job where we stretch a little bit. Uh, finding a niche in life is, can be overwhelming. It can be hard. Finding a place to serve in church can be the same. My grands have a favorite book, Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. So when it comes to this area of serving, it frankly came up in my brain right away, maybe because I've read it a hundred times, probably. Sam I am tries every way he can think of to get that creature to try Sam I am's favorite concoction of green eggs and ham. And the creature steadfastly refuses to try it. He's desperate. Finally, out of total frustration, the creature turns around and he says, okay, I'll try green eggs and ham. And he likes it. And, to the, and, and, and what, so what I'm saying to you, when it comes to service, try it. Try it. You may like it, I say. <laughs> when I first came to Cole, I felt lost. And uh, there was a time when they needed somebody to do dishes and wash dishes in the, over there, right there. And, and so I started washing dishes. Do you know how much talking gets done over dishwater? <laughs> a lot. And 20 years later, I found myself down in Honduras with a team that was building a church and doing a VBS. And guess what? My assignment was working with the ladies in the village. And guess what we were doing? Washing dishes. And I couldn't speak their language, and they couldn't speak mine. But with signs, we made a lot of friends over that dirty dishwater. Just saying, you can find something. So what I'm challenging to do, if, if you have a favorite thing that you enjoy doing, or an activity, or are you gifted somewhere, try it. Put it into service. See if you can. Um, have you ever considered just stretching a little? Um, if you don't know if you can, I would urge you to give it a try. Take a little bite at a time. That's where I started. Maybe you could just go watch somebody do something that you were wondering about. I did that with Sunday school teaching. 
um, maybe you could just fill in for once, twice. Would you be willing to go help someone else do something if they were doing the lead? You just got to follow them around. So again, I'm going to turn to Dr. Seuss one more time, this last time tonight. So here's my advice from Dr. Seuss. I don't know if you've ever read this book, but Horton Hatches the Egg is a story. It goes like this. Horton, the elephant, feels out of place, but Maisie, the lazy bird, begs Horton to sit on her egg. Reluctantly, Horton responds that he will, although he doesn't have any of the qualifications to sit on an egg. The key is that Horton is willing. That lazy bird leaves and she never returns. Horton is stuck sitting on that nest that he was not his to start with. Then Horton says, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, and elephants faithful, 100%. Can you be faithful to serve somewhere even if it's not your cup of tea? Well, let's move on. Relationships, building relationships. I want to share a few stories about how God worked in a relationship to play, replace conflict with peace. This is a really important one to me. Um, there are going to be times as I share in this passage, I'll share things, and, and I will mention husband or my sister or my kids, and that's because I'm around them the most. So, But most of these things are things that apply to all of you guys with whatever people that are, you're around the most. So just substitute, okay? I've done a whole lot of things that are wrong in my life. And my kids can tell you a whole lot more, but I never ask them because I don't want to be reminded. <laughs> um, with any advice, I'm asking you, just take it if it works for you. If it doesn't, so but it's okay. Um, so I just pray for wisdom. There's times I don't know what to do. So I'm going to tell you a story about my best friend, my sis. My sis and I are two different people from the same bloodline. Years ago, I was talking to a friend about our differences and frustrations with each other. And that friend gave me a wonderful piece of advice. She'd been in counseling, and they talked about writing a letter. A letter stating your frustration, stating why you were having troubles, da-dee-dee-da. And then to keep that letter for days, four days, five days, a week, and read it and read it and read it and read it again. But if you were going to read it that many times, you should be editing every time you go. And then start to read it and say, well, how would I feel if I was the one receiving that letter? And then only send it, only send it, if you felt like there was no other way but maybe to try that. Otherwise, toss it in the waste paper basket. Well, I did that. And you know what? My sis wrote back. And we found common ground, and we stood, we understood each other better. And the end of the story is that my sister is my best friend. We learned that if something didn't seem quite right, and there were times when things didn't seem quite right, we went directly to one another and asked, what do you know about that? We still practice this. We safely confide in one another. We call it venting. Janet, I just need to vent. Are we different? Absolutely. Does that make any difference? Mm -mm. I love you. Um, battles between people happen all the time. Everyone faces them. Age doesn't really make that much difference. I don't care if it was a three-year-old that was giving me scuff back in the nursery just before you guys came, or if it's somebody that's 72 sitting back there. Um, uh, we go to, how we go to war is reflected 
in a lot of times how we were modeled, how we went to war in the home where we came from. I was shown one way by my, how my fa family handled it. Bart's family was sort of different. So I, I think we all have tempers and we all, all tempers can flare. Mine does, Bart's does, and yours does too. Sometimes emotions come rolling in like a tsunami and we truly just lose control. Other times we can think it out a little bit. We have a, like a storm prediction, oh, it'll snow, snow tomorrow, you know, kind of thing. So what I'm learning is I need to approach conflict really honestly with some thought and with reason and time, time to think about it before um, hopefully it's less intense. Because when we go to battle, we leave casualties on the battlefield. Think about your triggers. Think about differing points of view. Um, what's my motivation when I'm <coughs> ticked? Um, is it coming from pride? Is it coming from humility? Um, a big question, I think, that as I wrote this, I got to thinking. Think about what the relationship will look like long after the battle has gone. It'll make a difference. You know, here's another thing. My hearing improves dramatically. If somebody can tell me their argument or evidence, if they state it without emotional flare-ups. Um, it's one of those things I challenge my family with. I want to hear what you have to say. Just don't put emotion in it. Just give me the facts. So being reminded, so being able to think before we speak is so good that it's actually biblical. Proverbs 15.1 tells us that a gentle response diffuses anger. We all know it's easier said than done. This little section is, this too shall pass, and I'll try to speak quickly because I'm looking at the time. When my girls were young, they bickered, and I couldn't hardly stand it. Finally, a teacher told me these words, this too shall pass. Ecclesiastic 3 may not talk about arguing kids, but it does say there is a time for war and a time for peace. <laughs> so um, I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to just give you some bullet points. Here we go. Ready? Things that I think that I like that helped us with our kids is we were trying to find special times between our kids and their friends. And I know somebody in this audience who's super good at it. Just ask her about a goat in a van. But those are the memories that you are going to share 20 years later around your table. We wanted to affirm our kids when they made a good decision, and that doesn't mean they always make good decisions. We like to extend grace when there was an extenuating circumstance. I'm sorry, I was supposed to be home at 1030 and it was 1130, but you know what, I've gone out of gas. Well, God extended grace to me. We were always happy to be the mean old parent. We told that to our kids. Anytime they wanted to have an excuse to do what was right, we wanted to give them an out. I didn't want them to have to sit up and go, oh, it's because I just think you're doing wrong. Just tell them mom and dad said no. We wanted to be involved with the kids, and, uh, and you know, our kids had mentors. And I'm just going to tell you that sometimes you mentor as an official, like a Bible study leader, and sometimes you mentor... Because your kids won't listen to you, but they'll listen. They won't listen to you, but they'd listen to that other person. And when they do listen to that other person, even though it is the same advice I gave them the night before, <laughs> my my daughter told me to put that in there. <clears throat> Thank you, mentors. 
Letting go of kids was hard for me. You remember, I told you that my teens and my life was really regulated. It was like controlled. And Bart had the good sense to be able to force my hand on some of that. I think it's really great if we can let go of our kids little by little. Or anytime you change responsibilities. Teaching that little by little is a big deal. Okay, we're only 10 minutes past. Here we go. I love the phrase, putting first things first. Choose to love. I'm going to, this is the Bible verse I want you to hear. The message rephrases Matthew 22, 37, 39 like this. Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. If there is a second to add along, there is a second to add along beside that. Love others as well as you love yourself. So who do I want to be? I want to be a woman who chooses to walk with Jesus and to stay curious about the wonderful things of God's creation. I want to love people better. I want to practice Romans 12, 15. Love, laugh, laugh. Remember that? Smile often. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be a great somebody. So as we draw to conclusion tonight and finish up, um, I hope you found a nugget of truth. I hope you found some idea that might spark your imagination and uh, encourage you that you are not alone on this journey of life. I truly think that we will never know where the ripples of our life affect another ripple. Watch ripples someday. They're amazing. Now, the last picture I'm going to put up here is a painting unfinished painting, I might say. It's mine. It's called When My Bubble Burst. The idea behind this is all these bursts of color is to remember that we all have a bubble that we think is beautiful. It's a -a one-of-a-kind bubble. It's ours. But life isn't like that. We want to hold it, but it's not going to happen. Bubbles do burst. Plans don't work. But what happens when your bubble bursts is that it fills your world with a whole new set of possibilities. Love this moment in life and look forward to what happens next. Let's serve another, one another in love. Let's use the life we've been given. Let's be real and not hide. Let's love well. Lord, I want us, me, to imitate you and leave behind your love. Okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm gonna, we're going to close with a song that's being played. I heard it a few weeks ago on the radio. Absolutely loved it. It was the song that needed to happen tonight. And it's called Only Jesus. If you look, I think you'll be able to see the words. Is that how it goes? Watch the screen. This is our in prayer.